Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu menach haolam asher kidshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok v'divrei Torah v'harevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufi amka b'et Yisrael v'niye anaknu v'etzeinu v'etzeetzei amka b'et Yisrael kulano yodea shemeka v'lomde Torateka lishma. Baruch Ata Adonai Hamlamet Torah Leamo Yisrael. Welcome to the rumination study for the final two parshiot of Sefer Vayikra. So we have Behar and Behukotai. And without further ado, let's get into this week's rumination. Hello, everyone. Yes, it is a Double portion. And this double portion begins with rumination 30. My love is measured by how well I listen. How well I listen is measured by how I respond. It is modern usage. Love is rarely spoken of in relationship to listening. It can be easily said that this is a cornerstone of marriage. Um, it's important for man and wife to listen to each other. <clears throat> and I mean, really listen, because sometimes my wife will tell me, are you paying attention? <laughs> so, and I, I think Hashem deals with us in that same manner just wants to know for paying attention to what he's saying. Right. And if we're paying attention to what he's saying, then we can better do what he's asking us to do. In the Bible, love is different. It speaks of husband and wife, of parent and child, of Hashem and his people. It is there that we learn what real love is. And it always involves listening. If we were speaking Hebrew, that might be enough to make the point. But English makes listening passive. I think that bears repeating. English makes it passive. Hebrew is an action-oriented language. If you notice throughout most of the parashiot, especially in this Sefer, Vayikra, you see Vayomer or Vayideber. It starts with a verb. It starts with action. You know, isn't it amazing to see that speech is action? It is. He in, in the Hebraic mindset, it doesn't doesn't care about how you feel or what you think. It cares more about that you do it. You can relate your experience having done it in the past tense. But what you think and how you feel, and then action, those are two different things. And Hashem is most concerned about our action that we do. That's the base, that's the Shema, that's hear and do. Which is listening in yeah. the Hebrew mind. But not just listening, you also do it, like James writes. A man beholding himself in a mirror 
and he walks away and he forgets who he was, deceiving himself. So you're basically insinuating the fact that our identity is yeah. attached to what we do. Exactly. You cannot oh, see. Here's the thing: you cannot judge a person's faith. You can't, but you can judge their actions, because their actions tell you more about them than their words do. Wow. So yeah, you, this is the epitome of "you shall know a tree by its fruit." Exactly. <laughs> That's what the Yokananda Mercy says. Bring forth the fruits of repentance, proof of your teshuva that you've returned. And, and what is that proof? What Hashem commands. He is the king of the universe, after all. Amen. And for, and for those who say that the Torah is done away with, I would ask the question, am I free to cast aside the commandment to love him with all my heart, all my soul, and all that I have then? Which would be really weird if that wasn't Torah-based. Because <laughs> if you don't base your love for Hashem off the Torah, what kind of love is that? doesn't exist it's not there because kind of on the other side of the coin is that and this is james again you say you have faith i will show you my faith by my works was not our father abraham justified when he offered up yitzhak was it not accounted to him as Righteousness. And there, Abraham demonstrated his love for Hashem in his obedience. So, since you're bringing this up, we talk about the law of first use as a beautiful study tool. So, if you ever want to know what does a word mean in Hebrew, look up the very, very first time it's used in context. The first time love is used is in the context of Abraham offering up his son, Yitzhak. So if you really want to talk about loving Hashem, it's giving up your only begotten son. Whatever that means to you. I see now you're bringing the context for John 3.16, that is used so much, you know. Um, I think that's what Yochanan 3.16 really means. Wow. Because that's God saying, this is how much I love you. Mm -hmm. That I give up my own. The, the Mashiach, the Zadik, he, he suffered. He gave his life. As a ransom for many. You know, that is the epitome of Ahava, love, which is a verb, by the way. Based off the two letter root word, 
hey bet, which is have, which means actually giving. So it's literally like opening up your hand and extending it. Which is so crazy because, you know, we talk about uh, first Yokanon, I believe. Uh, I have to look it up to be exact, but it says that we love Hashem because he first loved us. Yep. That's first. That's first John. Yeah. So you're like what we're talking about here. Like it's incredible to really unpack it. Well, you mentioned the two letters, Aleph and Beit, which also is the word father. The father demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, uh, Mashiach died for us. I believe that's Shaul, uh, Corinthians. Yeah, love is not passive. It does not simply go in one ear and out the other. In Hebrew, to shama is to respond. This is, this is my point earlier. It's not just hearing. You're also doing. It's not merely hearing. It is reacting to what is spoken. We cannot claim to love God and not respond positively to what he says. To shama is to hear and obey. It is why in Hebrew, the words for hear and obey is the same. <laughs> shama, hear and do. Followers of Messiah should not wonder if some obscure commandment from the Old Testament applies to them. There are no obscure commandments to those who love God. Uh, I believe it's Perky of 045 where the, the sages say that be as swift, be as persistent as a leopard and swift as an eagle in the performance of any mitzvot, for you do not know the reward. Uh, vote 520. Okay, thank you. And so, of course, oh, sorry. So just to reiterate on obscure you know you have to kind of bring this down into human context to get a a, a grasp because obviously it's going to be beyond this point but think about someone you love so much like for instance your spouse right for, for the married people you think about your spouse right so to you in your mind you're like oh my gosh can't believe this person likes that thing you know like whether it be some type of food or some type of activity or some book or, you know, whatever, you're just kind of like that, you know, and your mind, you may think it's weird, but because you love that person so much, you're not going to be like, you're so weird. We're not doing that, you know, or you're so weird. I'm not going to buy you that. Right. You would, you would definitely cater to that. So this is what it like. This is what it's like with a shim. Like, if it's that for us, imagine how much more so for Hashem. It's just like, I have no idea why Hashem wants us to eat kosher. But we're going to do it. You know, so. Or like again, why we bring the red heifer, you know, that that's a hukat. It's a bit of a, it's a mystery. It's not explained. But yet, nonetheless, we're commanded to do it. 
Yes. And I, and I love the whole understanding that we understand the mitzvot through the lens. Yes, it is a lens of love because the way that the commandments are taught are not through the lens of love sometimes, especially for those who say they don't want to do them. So there's that. Yeah, it's as if they're sitting in the strict attribute of Gibura judgment. And because they do this, there'll be no mixture for them. Gibura will be applied to them. Mita Kanega Kamita, measure for measure. See, that's where we really need to be careful. Because when Hashem does this, you you will know when he does this. <laughs> be certain of it, because I know in the church they don't see this and they don't have an understanding of this Torah principle. Um, and I use the word principle very importantly because it's not a concept because that's Greek thinking. While principle in Torah is a Hebrew thing. They're, they're two distinct so it's, I live by these principles. They're not my own. Otherwise, it would be subjective. Because we're asked this all the time. Well, isn't that your own personal belief system? I had to explain this to someone while I was away for two weeks. I explained that this is not my own personal belief system. Because if it were, it would be subjective. And you, I would tell you, don't listen to me. Because any word that if comes out of my mouth is not going to be true. It's not going to be true. Why would you want to listen to such a person? Why? They'll mislead you. They'll lead you away from the commandments. And what Hashem has placed in our heart, we don't have that desire to do that. Because that's a very bad thing. There are lots of people who live their lives off of subjection, which is very, very disturbing. But the fact that you would say, you know, this this is not my personal belief system and I'm not going to, you know, go around teaching things based off of my personal beliefs. That's a very healthy attitude. <laughs> you know, that shows get me dope right there. It's something I've learned over many years in my in my search in my desire and study and now that i my wife and i are are living torah as best we can based on our level of understanding and that continues to increase each day you know bezerat hashem um you know we draw closer to the to the Holy One, blessed be He. You know, we demonstrate our love, you know. Um, right. I Sometimes I tend to think that married couples have the better insight on this one because <clears throat> you're, you're learning to suppress your own um, desires, your ambitions. Something my father always taught me, you know, put the needs of someone else ahead of your own. You don't see that today. You see this me, me, me thing. I'm number one, you know, and those are lessons that have stayed with me for many years 
And I've always put the needs of others first. Otherwise, when it comes time when you're in need, you know, you can expect that that help to come for you. But if you're the selfish kind who doesn't show love, which has to start with loving Hashem and walking in his way, and then you can love your fellow man, thereby, therein is the love of Hashem perfected in us. The love of Hashem perfected. Which you know, the word for perfected is actually the word shalem, which comes from the word shalom. So it's actually completing, you know, which is which is re really amazing to think about from the aspect of a circuit, like electrical. You know, in order for your light to come on, you flip the switch and the wiring and everything goes. So what you're talking about here with putting others before yourself, you complete the love of Hashem. You cause Hashem's love to be manifest in the world through placing others before yourself. What's interesting is when we start the counting of the Omer, it begins with Hesed of Hesed, and it descends down to Malkut of Malkut. As we ascend in the counting, I was just reading Ben Burton, and he, he quotes a rabbi who says that when we descend down, through the Sephirot, we bring down the Shekinah. Nice. Yeah. Plus the fact that the number seven has so many different connections. You know, it's, you know, Sakota seven days. Uh, Haomotzi is seven days. Creation is seven days. The waving of the Omer is seven times. You know, um, but don't want to stray too far here from love. Right. Um, <laughs> a lot of, got some verses here. If you love me, keep my commandments. And that is John 14, 15. And then in that same chapter in verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, Shomer, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That is huge. Yeah, I was about to say, we need to say law for, for this. Yeah, you got to <laughs> stop and meditate on that for a time, you know? He who keeps them, it's he who loves me. Right. So definition of love, guarding the mitzvot. And what do we see in the church being taught? We're seeing the antithesis to this being taught. Oh, you don't have to do that. Jesus is our righteousness. He's, he's everything. We don't have to do nothing. We just have to raise the hand, walk the aisle, and say a prayer, and that's... But even then, me personally, there's got to be more to this. And sure enough, I found out. <laughs> right. Takes courage. 
Yeah, to step out of the theological box, you know, to think for yourself, not letting the pastor's theology or understanding become your own. You see, we each as individuals have the responsibility to search the scriptures. The master says this, for in them they testify of me. We learn about him who he is when we search the scriptures. He that believes on, let's see, this is the big one, John 7, 38. He that believes on me, as the scripture says, replace that with Torah. As the Torah says, this is why I always say, it's not my own personal belief system. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Mayim Kaim, the Torah is likened to living waters that and what does Psalm 19 say about the Torah? It restores the soul. It converts the soul. The nefesh. It's as if it's talking about rectification. The mikvah. Yes. A change in status from unclean to clean. That is the Torah. That's, the, the, that's what we've been t studying about in Vayikra, is how to approach Hashem. Oh, but the, what does the church say? Oh, that's like, stick that on the bookshelf, let it collect dust. You have no understanding of Messiah if you do not study this book. Let, right. alone, let alone Hebrews. You know, the part of this verse I'm looking at is I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know, like when Hashem loves. So like us loving him is saying, okay, Hashem, I see your commandments and I do them. So meter connected me to measure for measure. Turn that around. Hashem saying, well, I love you. I do your commandments. But see, this is the beautiful thing about being echad with Hashem. Because it's not your commandments per se. It's actually his commandments that have become your commandments. So therefore, when you're doing the commandments and Hashem is doing the commandments, you know, you're meeting in the middle. You know, we, we talk about Mashiach being like a bridge for us, right? unifying us is like the connector point you know what the zadik does to make us a chad with hashem and things like that you can actually become a chad with the zadik and actually pray as the zadik even there's there's prescriptions for that believe it or not but we're not going to get into that right now because i want to go to the next part of this verse that says i will manifest myself to you manifesting right so like you have this concept of like we know yeshua existed but we know before yeshua existed he existed let's talk about the parents of samson they saw him jacob wrestled with him this was the angel that redeemed yaakov as we talk about in the bedtime shema from all evil the guardian angel that led Abraham and Yitzhak, by the way. That's all Yeshua, right? So he's manifesting. So 
you know, you think about this, I, I, I want to just kind of bring it to this point that we have not seen per se Yeshua as he appeared in the first century. Because I think about this a lot. Like when he returns, it's just kind of like, okay, so we know that his Talmudim saw him and thousands of people when he resurrected and however many people throughout his life here on earth, like they saw him, right? Mm -hmm. But yet we have no recollection of what he looks like. <laughs> we don't have pictures. We don't have renderings. People think they have renderings, but when he returns, like we're not going to have anything to go by physically. We're going to have his words. We're going to have his testimony, you know, and, and things like that. And obviously everything that uh, goes with the, the appearance of the Mashiach. So when we talk about him manifesting himself to us, it's all within the context of being guardians of the mitzvot. If we're not doing what these Torah portions teach us, Behar, Behukotai, getting on the mountain, getting the Torah engraved in our hearts, like if we're not doing those things, we're not really going to have any identifiers. So um, I lost Shomo there for a second. Hope everything's okay. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's just crazy to think about the fact that if we don't really know what he looked like, then how will we know what he looks like now? So Shomo is back and I finished my point just as you came back. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> oh goodness. I just got like kicked off. <laughs> oh, well, good thing the recorder's still going. Uh, yeah, I saw that. So, oh no, not now, not now. <laughs> When you were saying that, I immediately went to First John. Yes. One, one, the word which gives life. He existed from the beginning. We have heard him. We have seen him with our eyes. We have contemplated him. We have touched him with our hands. The life appeared and we have seen it. We are testifying to it and announcing it to you, eternal life. <laughs> bear sheet 3-8. That goes with bear sheet 3-8. Listen to this. Va-yishme'u. And they heard. And they shema. It uses shema. Yes, it does. They listened and obeyed. And it says they heard the sound of the Lord. Uses Aleph Tav Kol, which Kol is the word for voice, also the word for thunder, apparently, if you look at Parsha Yitro. That's Kol. Yeah. You know how so, Ankylos renders that? What does he say? And he and they heard the sound of the Devar, the word walking in the midst of the garden what the, what did i just read here in yokanon that's what i'm saying and the like, word the devar they saw him they heard him which gives life he existed from the beginning what does the midrash say about the torah it is the first of seven things that existed before the creation 
So now I can't help but think every single Torah portion is a manifestation of Yeshua. Salvation. So he's manifesting himself to us every single Torah portion. He's doing it right now as we speak. Oh, my gosh. All right, I'm out. (laughs) See, this is how I look at it. I always look at it in the present tense. Why? Because what we're doing, we're counting up. Yes. We're preparing ourselves. We're purifying ourselves from every baseness, every defect that would bring rectification so that when that 50th day hits, we're ready. Because I read, I shared a Dafei Tang, uh, Imor, the secret of Lagba Omer. He got, mm-hmm. he I talked, read that. Yeah, that's really powerful, man. Because on the 33rd day, the Lagba Omer, our master ascended. I mean, yeah, we mourn those days because of the 24,000 disciples of Rabbi Akiva who couldn't get along with each other didn't respect one another's opinions and we had to mourn this year because of the tragedy oh my goodness it just took place yeah you know it's but you know Defe uses Lagba Omer as the um, kind of the midpoint because at this point we're headed for redemption I actually got something to add to that. So this is from the B'nai Yisakar by way of Shavile Pinchas, a.k.a. Rabbi Pinchas Friedman Shlita. He brought this down for Lagba Omer. He says, ER 3, 1. He says, the 49 days of Sephirah are equivalent to Lamed Bet Tov, which means 32 plus 17, which Lamed Bet is the word for heart, which is Lev. Tov is the word for good. So the 49 days is the gematria 49 is Lev Tov. It's good heart. So guess what that means? The Omer count is divided up into two there are the 32 days and then the final 17 days the first 32 days are a preparation for receiving the revealed torah aka the written torah aka the yeshua that appeared in the flesh the latter days the latter 17 from lagba omer to chag shavuot are a preparation for receiving the concealed Mystical Torah, Torah Hanistar. The latter is described as the concealed light, which, by the way, is a book that is available in print that is all about the names of the Mashiach. So I'll put a pin in it right there and leave it there. But just want to bring this down to your (laughs) what you just said about the 49 days. So. Um. Well, you were bringing up about Echad earlier. The Gematria for that word is 13 times 2 is 26. 
the combined gematria of the letter Aleph, the yod above, the yod below connected by a vav. Times two is 52, which is Ben, son. Which, by the way, is the gematria of Eliyahu. I was I was shocked by that. So oh. I did not know Eliyahu's gematria was 52. That's just okay. <laughs> if you put the if you put the bait in there or the bait, it's Evan, which is stone. So you also have the two words of father and Ben son. Which no, is the gematria of 53. Hmm. Okay. I'm glad we've discussed this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, we were on 1421 of Yokohama now 1510. Yep. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Uh, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. This is all a chad. That's what this means. <laughs> and, you know, he's not, he, what this says right here, what John is letting us know, he's not a Torah-breaking Messiah. Messiah shows us what love looks like because he keeps the commandments. And what's even more crazy is he himself is the love. Let's see, in the 14th verse in John 15, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now Yokanan gets to the nit and gritty in his first letter. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Goodness. You ever heard that saying that Jews don't believe in God, we know God? Because the Jewish people are the only people who are mitzvot keepers. Now, I mean, if you think about the 70 nations that exist in the world today, which of them have a Torah that is called Hashem that was the tool that was used to fashion creation? You know, if you say that Torah is done away with, then I would say then you bear witness that he did not create the heavens and the earth pretty much what you're left with. Because the Torah is the blueprint for creation and he looked into it 
and spoke everything. Remember Yochanan's statement here in his first letter, the word which gives life, he existed from the beginning. Do you know how midrashic that statement is? How <laughs> steep in the Talmud that is? The words of the sages? Yeah. You know, I just, is it any wonder that the Torah is number one on the list of seven things that existed before creation? And yes, the name of Mashiach is number seven. I like uh, Isaiah 52, 7, be, uh, behold the feet of him who de declares peace on the mountaintops. You know how beautiful yep. brings tidings of Shalom, who brings Yeshua, the hay at the end, the noun. This is where people get confused about salvation. Because are you if you're if you're stuck on JC, then okay, so are you telling me that salvation didn't exist in the Tanakh? Uh-oh. Are you telling me that none of those people listed in Hebrews 11 have a place in the world to come because they don't accept JC? There goes the great cloud of witnesses. So yeah. wait, let's get this right. If salvation didn't exist before the Gospels, um, before the birth of the Messiah, before the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection, that means we would have never left Egypt. You're still in Mitzrayim. Because you know why? Because the Jews experienced salvation that was being delivered from Egypt. Anoki Adonai Eloheka Holtziteka Mimitzrayim. Yep. I took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's Yeshua, the noun. Would you know what's really crazy about that is Yeshua with the hay on the end literally means divine assistance. Mm-hmm. Hey, what did you just say? Hashem himself says, I took you out. Like, hello, divine assistance here. Let me uh, come get you. Let's let's go. It wasn't okay. by any merit of their own. Nope. <laughs> uh, Itaki Hesko makes a really good point is that they were too sparsely dependent on the merits of the fathers. That was uncalled for. That was just flag on the play <laughs> wow so that's like that's huge you know what that tell you know what that says we can't be spiritually lazy in the performance of mitzvah Good. we gotta we gotta produce merit of ourselves we gotta be diligent in our study of torah and our dissemination of it as well you know because we can't keep it to ourselves you know I, you know, I take every advantage to share it. I was, matter of fact, I even sat down with my mother and I was sharing. Torah. Come on, man. Yeah. You know, and she doesn't even attend any kind of service. And we were getting to a discussion about my, my brother was backslidden for many years that I was praying for him. And now he's rededicated his life to serving God. 
great it's great you know he's in the church though and i'm trying to share torah with him but i can't get a word in edgewise with him you know he's just stuck on theology you know and when you're dealing with those kind of people those kind of believers you know you just have to step back and just let hashem do the work you know that you know but you know, when I was sitting talking to my mother and we were getting on the subject, why does he think that Jesus is God? Mm. You know, because they're really stuck on that one. Yeah. You know, and I and I and I and, I, and the, for the life of me, I it kind of blew me up, blew my mind is that my mother understood this Torah concept. My brother didn't. She knows the Jews don't believe that JC is God. She doesn't even believe that Yeshua is God. And I told her, there's no place in the Gospels where it says that he is God. He never says it. Wow. Come on, man. This is this is deep. Even when you get to Yochanan, where Thomas says, my Lord and my God, that's not saying he's not. Thomas is not saying that he's God. He's acknowledging the authority that rose Yeshua from the dead. Because how can God die? And how can God raise God from the dead? My mother grasped it. She understood it. I could see it in her eyes. She did. And I'm like, and my brother's having a hard time with this. I guarantee you, if you have any Christian roots right now that you have not uprooted and retilled that ground, this is probably a problematic part of this this episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your your plow's going to hit this huge rock in the field and you're not going to get past it unless you break out the pickaxe or the or the pike and just shatter that rock into pieces and then move on. Yeah. Cuz that's what it's going to take. And you know, I think it would be prudent of us to actually unpack at least a little bit more of this because, you know, Lakute Torah this week actually went into a huge tangent on it. And I would have loved to have done a whole separate podcast on it because it literally is Lakute Torah Bahar. Just for that particular Torah portion went into a beautiful um, explanation about it. But just to kind of unpack here a little bit between myself and Shlomo, you know, um, the first thing I would like to say is when it comes to understanding that Yeshua is the word of Hashem made flesh. It doesn't say that it was God made flesh. That's the very, very first thing. And, I, and then this is very, very hard to take, especially if you haven't really thought about it. And if this is coming out of left field and kind of sounding heretic, it doesn't take away anything that Yeshua has done, anything that Yeshua is currently doing, anything that he will do, because why? What is the word of God? The word of God is the tool that Hashem uses for whatever he wants to accomplish, i.e. my word goes forth and it doesn't return void. You know, right? Those kinds of things. Again, so Hashem create brought forth creation, right? 
But what did he use to bring forth creation? He, he looked into the Torah. We just said this a minute ago. He looked into the Torah. So in order for creation to come forth, Hashem used the Torah. So think about that for a second. There's Hashem, the Torah, then creation comes forth from that. There's like this little, this little step again, just like we talked about the Zadik being like this little joint. So when we talk about the tool that Hashem used, that tool became flesh. So when you look at that tool, that tool is not Hashem because Hashem, guess what, is far beyond that. To even call Hashem Hashem, referring to the respective way of saying the Yod and Hey and Bob and Hey, that is, those four letters, those letters aren't even beginning to touch or grasp the concept of Hashem because he's far beyond that. So if we're talking about the word of God, the word of God is actually connected to those four letters, but those four letters are the name that applies to Hashem. And guess what? Let's take it down back to uh, a little, let's take it all the way back to us real quick. And this is the final thing I'll say before I hand it over is that we have names, right? Like Shlomo, you have a name. Amet, I have a name, right? But we are not our name. Our name portrays or gives a picture or gives an identifier of who we are. So, for instance, in order for me to, to you know, go around and be who I am, I don't have to have the label of Met because to some people, I'm Abba. To some people, I'm Friend. To some people, you know, I'm this or that, right? So with Hashem, Hashem is far beyond his name. So I'll leave it there. <laughs> no, that's very important because the the four-letter name points to the Ain Sof, the infinite nothing. <clears throat> the point at which he existed before his self-revelation. <laughs> in other words, in Kabbalistic terms, the ascending Yesh and the descending Atzmus. Like Yochanan says, this is very Kabbalistic what Yochanan says here. It is so mystical that it, you got to unpack it. You have to meditate on it to really grasp what he's saying. Um, you know, the word which gives life. What's he doing here? He's pointing to Baruch Sheyamar. Blessed is he who spoke. Wow. And the world came to be. This is why we recite this in, in the morning. Why? Because we wake up. Because we need to remember. Mm. He who spoke everything. And, man, um, 
I was reading Likute Mohoran the other day, and I was trying to find it. See, uh, I know it's here. Man, Shem, give you recall on how to find it. <laughs> well, he said he talks about how the Zadik has to bring down holiness, and it is really powerful. Um, Ah, here we go. Okay. Each person is required to give strength to the kingdom of holiness. This is uh, Likute Moharam, Volume 1, page 49, Kindle Kindle version. Yeah, each person is required to give strength to the kingdom of holiness so that it may overpower the kingdom of the other side, the Sitrahakra. As our sages taught, a person should always incite the good inclination against the evil inclination, Barakot 5a. And how is strength given to the kingdom of holiness? By means of the Torah, by means of Torah study that a person engages in with enthusiasm. As our sages taught, a person should always incite. If it leaves, good. If not, he should engage in Torah study. And as our sages taught, if this rogue accosts you, drag him to the house of study, Kiddushin 30b. I remember. Think about what this now, what our master said. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent taken by force. Mm-hmm. Just another aspect of we love Hashem. We study his Torah. We drag the, the Yetzir Hurrah along with us if necessary. Kick, biting, scratching, protesting, whatever. Just go to the debate midrash and study (laughs) you know yeah which you know that's the violence that the king that's that's the taking it by force saying you know what yetzahara you know what desires of the flesh which by the way the yetzahara the animal soul is the flesh and its desires surprise but that is what we're actually supposed to be violent against the I don't want to do this right now. I don't feel like doing this right now. When you go do that right now, that's when you're actually being violent. You're just like, I don't feel like picking up a book. And you pick up a book. That's like a throat chop. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't feel like praying right now. I, I miss Chakarit. You're just like, well, I'm going to do Minka. That's like sweep the leg and you just broke a collarbone to somebody, you know, like that's violence that's what it looks like literally so it, it may sound crazy and funny i mean i love violence but uh in in its proper context don't get me wrong but yeah. i mean seriously <laughs> that's what we're talking about <laughs> yeah i mean that you know that that sank in for me um yeah, for it is by means of the Torah that strength is given to the kingdom of holiness that Malkut Nun receives vitality from Hokmah, Het. The Het and the Nun are joined and bound together. And what do those two letters, what word do those two letters form? Pain, grace. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on. And Wait a minute. Hold up. <laughs> didn't didn't I just say oh Torah's Nistar okay 
because that noon can represent Nistar, which is from the word Sater, which means conceal. So if you're talking about the Chet, noon, the Chai, the, the Torah, because thinking about what the Chet represents, right? Wait a minute. So, so now you're touching on Psalm 91. He that sits in the secret place, Yoshev, Besetter. I just read an interesting, inspirational um, excerpt from uh, from our scroll newsletter. I think this will definitely catch your attention. I think it should catch the attention of everybody. I posted it in the group. Come on. Okay. Okay, Tana Deve Eliyahu Rabbah shares a novel interpretation of the Pasuk of Yoshev Beseser. Whoever sits in the refuge of the Most High, he shall dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. The word Seser can also mean in secret. With this in mind, the Tana Deve Eliyahu explains that protection is guaranteed for one who sits in private and learns Torah without fanfare and without others knowing such a person is deemed a yoshev besacer he's the one who is elion elevated and he will bask in betzel shakai or betzel shaddai the shadow of the almighty when moshe now this is a this is a story from the holocaust when Moshe Weiss arrived in Auschwitz-Birkenau on Shavuos of 1944, he was with his parents and his family. Tragically, however, that was the last time he saw his father and mother and five of his siblings. Soon they were no longer among the living. Only Moshe and two brothers survived. After being sent by Mengele, also known as the Angel of Death, to the right to life, Moshe and his few remaining family members were disinfected, sent to retrieve clothing and then pushed to have their number branded on their arms. The following day, the second day of Sabaoth, the Klausenberger Rebbe, Ray Yuxiel, Yehuda Halberstam arrived. By the end of the war, the Rebbe had lost his wife and two children. It is difficult to comprehend such a tragedy, but the Rebbe carried on, doing his best to encourage those around him. As fate would have it, Moshe's barracks was adjacent to Rebbe's barracks. Though it was prohibited, Moshe desperately wanted to make his way into the Rebbe's quarters and stay there. He wanted so badly to get to know the Holy Rebbe and become close to him. That night, under the cover of darkness, he managed to switch places with one of the inmates in the Rebbe's barracks. Pleased, his new lodging quarters... Moshe approached the Rebbe and informed him of the good news. They would now be barrack mates. But the Klausenberger Rebbe was not so enthusiastic when Moshe shared the news with him. He flatly stated, if you think it's going to do you any good, it won't. Moshe's spirits could not be dampened. Of course, it's going to help. Mirken Reden in learning. We talk in learning. The Rebbe was still not convinced. Uh, Bakula, you're in Auschwitz and you want to talk in learning? 
Moshe defiantly proclaimed, Rebbe, if we don't talk in learning, how will we ever prevail? How will we ever make it out of this Gehenna? The Rebbe was very moved and he hugged Moshe. For the next 12 months, they were inseparable. They went from Birkenau to Warsaw to clear away the rubble and then to Dachau and finally to Maldorf, where they were liberated. Throughout that time, they talked in learning, Besaser, so that the Nazis would not hear or see. When the war was over, Moshe spent the next long while finding bodies and burying them properly. When he finally finished his holy work, he asked the Rebbe for a baraka, that his children should become Talmidei Kakamim and illuminate the world with their Torah learning. This story was shared by Rav Asher Weiss, Rev. Moshe Weiss's son, a Rosh Kolel Dayan, and one of the premier post-scheme in the world today. The Rebbe and Rev. Moshe were Yoshev Beseser, for without it, how would they, we ever prevail? And prevail they did. Bethel Shaddai Yeshlonan. Amen. Come on. They, that's really deep love for Hashem. To, to talk Torah in such a dark place, you know, and notice what they said about it, Gehinnom, <laughs> and then the liberation came. So wait, the Torah being talked about and studied and observed saved them from Gehinnom? Is that what you just read to us? Mm-hmm. I believe Yosef's made this point as well. I know it's just it, it's like one of these things where people talk about, oh, if you got JC, you know, he'll save you from. Nope, I see something. what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like a little devil's advocate there. Okay, <laughs> it, I mean, it, I don't know. I always, I always like couch it in like a question like that because it just baffles my mind how many commentaries exist that literally says Torah saves you from Gehenna when oh my gosh I hate to paint with a broad paintbrush but because (laughs) the people that I were with a non-denominational church they told me yeah if you do that Torah thing you'll go to hell and I'm like Okay, so I guess I'm going to get him, you know, because I'm going to do the tour. I'm sorry, like, I guess if that's what you think. But again, consider the source, right? Because the people who were saying this, they live off of subjection. So if you have subjective belief system, even something that is completely fact and codified, which I would listen to the sages before i listen to a pastor i mean yes just gonna go ahead and say that statement but uh yeah anyway no very good point i total agreement you know it's it's very simplistic to say that if you don't accept jc that you're going to hell that's i think that's also very callous it it shows how divisive or how religious you are 
because you're clinging to the religion of the empire, the religion of the Caesars. I would come back with that. Is that what you're advocating? And you know what's even crazy on the very backside of it, in the small little corner, is literally what they're saying because if Yeshua, JC, is the Torah, and he is, if you don't accept him, you go to Gehenna. So it's like, actually, that's kind of true. But obviously, it's just they don't, don't see it coming. That's the problem. Yeah, they don't see aren't... it. They don't see Gehenna coming for them. Yeah, those darts aren't really connected. So. And what, what is what does Yeshua say? Go, I don't know you. Yikes. That's got But master, awesome. we did all these wonderful things. We rose to dead. We healed the sick. We cast out demons. And he's he shutting down faith healing conferences. Oh my gosh. You're so violent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always heard this all the time. We need to see to see revival. We need signs, miracles, and wonders. That's in contradiction to our master's words. Man. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but oh. no sign will be given to it except that of the prophet Yonah. Man, I feel like this should have came with a disclaimer, like, <laughs> like some kind of advisory or something before we started with the Braca. Your emunah is very weak if you are looking for signs, miracles, and wonders. Mm, mm, mm. And I'm being blunt there. You're, if you're listening to this and you're in that place where you're listening to a pastor who's telling you this about revival, there's only one true revival. That's returning to Torah. That's it. There is no other definition for that word. If you want to see true revival, return to the Torah of Hashem, because that what that's what repentance means. It's not just changing your mind, it's changing what you do. So you mean to tell me this whole time, people have been saying, let's have a tent revival and like preaching their hearts out, when really the only thing you need to do is get in the tent of Torah. Oh. Was it Ma Ohaleka Yaakov? Matovu Ohaleka Yaakov Mishkenoteka Israel. The oldest blessing in the Sidur, uttered from the mouth of a pagan wizard. Yeah, how about that one? The only so Gentile wait. prophet in the so Torah. <laughs> Balaam tells us, go get in the tent of Torah if you really want blessing. Again, Balaam. Balaam. He yeah. says, if yeah. you want to be... I'm sorry, but I mean, if Balaam knew that, uh, where is the connection... Uh, impedance or the air gap where, where is the not connecting going on 
Belam. He said that. How can I curse what Hashem has not cursed? Yeah, all day people are cursing what Hashem has not cursed. And actually, what actually brings blessing in people's lives. Oh, my goodness. That is so serious. <laughs> the church is... The church wonders why it has so many problems. And I heard, you know what's interesting? I heard someone say to me that the reason why you have all these denominations is because one person gets offended and says, I don't like that. So I'm going to start my own denomination. And now you have these upteen denominations that I've lost count of offended people trying to do their own thing. You don't even have to go to denominations to figure that one out because the only reason Christianity exists is because someone got upset with facts. <laughs> with facts. Yes, you know... Um, are you familiar with the 15th century theologian, Matthew Henry? Oh, yeah. He's got great commentary on the Bible. It's like, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Being old God of the Old I Testament, a dark gotta dispensation. Got to repent. Repent. Jesus. Nice. I'm being sarcastic deliberately because yeah, we got to stop that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So your point about Matthew Henry though. I'm sorry, but he's just clueless. Like all theologians are when it comes to the Tanakh. Because he yeah. forgets that the word grace. And this is the question I posed before. When does that word first show up in the Torah? <laughs> Parsha Bereshit, the first Torah portion in the Bible. Yep. Creation. You know, it's. And then what does he say? The 10 words, the Aseret HaDevarim, uh, regarding um, Shabbat. You know, I show mercy to the thousandth generation that love me and keep my mitzvot. Yeah. It's so Matthew Henry, how is this the mean old God of the old Testament? As you say, a dark dispensation, an angry God, <laughs> You know what it takes to get Hashem angry? Well, you got to ask the question, how long did it take before he destroyed the temple? Actually, the sages talk about it in Avodah Zarah. Mm. It's like a moment. It might as well be an eternity for us. They actually break this down into like really minuscule seconds. I mean, they just break it down. And I'm like, okay, this is like precision here. 
And he, and it does say that the Tanakh he he hides his face, but for a moment. But then he returns and shows you his countenance that he loves us. You know what what did it say here in that verse? Uh, um. Yeah. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You know that thing when someone gets angry, you're you're told, hey, count to ten. Oh yeah. Isn't it interesting that Shem made ten statements? <laughs> like ten words. Oh man. You know, he was that close to wiping out Israel when it came to the golden calf. Oh, man. But Moshe. Mm. This is, you know, this is why Moshe is my favorite prophet. You know, just because when I was growing up, I always watched the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah. You know, ABC always aired it up during Passover, which was really interesting. <laughs> they knew when Passover was. Yeah, I'm like surprised. I re I re actually remembered that, you know. And wow. there is this scene where um, you know he's out there and he's getting and Hashem is writing with his finger the ten words. On the Schnabel coat, and Moshe's, you know, watching, you know, he's like just, you know, can barely stand in the presence of the divine, you know, it's like, and then in the same situation, you have Israel down there making the golden calf. And I remember reading the Ari on that one, magic involved, you know, and Balaam is involved in it. <laughs> yes, he was. You know, I'm like, man. And then I liked what I think Cecil B. DeMille did one good thing is that when Moshe came down with the Schnee coat and his eyes laid on the golden calf, and he says, woe to you, Israel, for you have sinned a great sin. For this, you shall drink bitter waters, the Sota. So Cecil B. DeMille was listening to the sages at that, in that part of the movie, in that part of the script, at least, you know. And I you thought know what that I love about that? is the only two tractates ever in the Talmud that have 49 dots, 49 pages, I guess, like A, B, is Sota and, yeah, Shavuot. <laughs> so let's get this right. So Shavuot, is we're counting 50 days 
get up to the giving of the Torah, which was really when Hashem began speaking the 10 words, just like he did in Genesis. So the 10 commandments, the 10 words, that's interesting. But once he started from that point, we were like, okay, that's enough. Moshe, you go up there, right? So now we go 40 days and we can't even make it 40 days when we start doing the golden calf. So now the 49 days that we counted up to receive the Torah were reverted into the, sorry, I had to plug in my charger, were reverted into the understanding of the bitter waters that the woman suspected of adultery has to drink. So I just find it interesting that during the 49 days as well, up to counting or up to receiving the Torah, we count the Omer, which is barley. And what is the offering of the Sota? Barley. And so, you know, we have this connection here of the Sota and Shavuot. So just a little interesting thing as you're saying what you're saying about the, the magic and Moshe on the mountain and, you know, all these kinds of things. There's like the giving of the Torah going on, but then there's this whole adultery thing happening, like simultaneously. It's like the two tractates are meeting. Yeah, I, I think uh, tractate Kiddushin comes into play. Because <laughs> that's the, the first, But the first question of the Mishnah of Kiddushin is, a woman is acquired in one of three ways. Wow. One of them is money. Mm -mm -mm. Bought with a price. No, you didn't. He's like, yes. And what, did, and what did Israel come out with? They came out with a lot of money. That was the price. So Hashem purchasing us with a price, not only is it the blood of the slain lamb before the foundation, the Akida, the blood of <laughs> the Pesach lamb, but it's also the stuff that we left with from the Egyptians that Hashem said, Abraham, your descendants are going to be slaves in a foreign land, but that's okay. They're going to come out wealthy because I'm going to marry them. I mean, I'm going to purchase them. I mean, I'm going to give them salvation and stuff. Uh, Bro, that's insane. Are you serious? I could go grab it and read it. I have to dig it out, though. It's behind some of my other books in my library. But um, <laughs> I think of what the writer of Hebrews writes, who trampled under, who did not think it, um, um, who thought it trivial to trample underfoot the blood of the Son of God, the token of the covenant. The blood of the covenant. Wow. Um, I believe that's Hebrews 10. Let us continue holding fast to the hope we acknowledge without wavering for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. 
and let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. <laughs> Not neglecting our own congregational meetings as some have made the practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other. And let us do all this all the more as you see the day approaching, for if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, Torah, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only the terrifying prospect of judgment, of raging fire that will consume the enemies. Someone who disregards the Torah of Moshe is put to death without mercy on the word of two or three witnesses. Think how much worse will be the punishment deserved by someone who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has treated as something common the blood of the covenant which made him holy and who has insulted the spirit giver of God's grace. He's talking the giving of the Torah here. This is the imagery that he's bringing out. So don't sit there and tell me that JC is all the end all and be all because he performed the Torah. The shedding of his blood renews the covenant. Which is spoken of in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It's still the same covenant. Because all the covenants are built on one another. Essentially, they're one. Because it's the mind of Hashem. You know, vengeance is my responsibility. I will repay. See, we need to leave that to, him, to Hashem. And said, Adonai will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If the church would truly grab a hold of this and realize its true meaning, they will not be doing what they're doing right now. Hmm. Because they're the ones that literally are playing with fire. Yep. So uh, you you were completely correct with Kiddushin 2A about the woman being acquired in one of three ways. And what's interesting is... Like, I'm reading the footnote, right? So, it says the Mishnah describes the process by which the first stage of marriage, which is called Kiddushin, may be affected. During the Kiddushin stage, otherwise known as Erusin, the betrothed bride has the full status of a married woman. Intimate relations with any other man are considered adultery and incur the death penalty. Nevertheless, during this stage, the husband and wife do not yet assume contractual marital obligations, which, by the way, is called ketubah, towards one another, and the couple is not yet permitted to engage in relations. Marriage is completed only when the process of nisuin takes place, in which the bride formally enters her husband's home or bridal canopy, also known as the hoopah. So 
when it talks about the the three ways uh it 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 basically mentions the three ways and then it goes into breaking everything down but one of them talks about she can be purchased with money and it talks about silver coins which says the equivalent of 96 grains of barley according to the Beit Shemai. So silver pieces, because, you know, Yeshua was bought with silver pieces. Yeah. <laughs> the Sota has the, the barley offering. So, you know, anyway, can be purchased with, with money. Yochanan 8. All right, keep it rolling. Okay, our next verse. First John 5, 2, and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Amen. You know how the church likes to say, oh, you're going under the burden of the law. It's not mm -hmm. a burden. Man's laws are a burden. Because this is what the, the, the Talmudim are talking about in Acts 15. They're not talking about the Torah as a burden. They're talking about anyone's um, personal standard of righteousness or personal belief system. Can we just mention about the burden of the law of man being the fact that the law of man dictates you don't really get a Shabbat? It's a good idea to take one and you can take your Shabbat whenever you want. But because of Captain Procrastination, uh, we never really get around to that Shabbat. So you may end up working seven days or eight days or 20 days and you're like, oh, my gosh, I need to take my Shabbat. So the law of man says, yeah, you should take a Shabbat, but you may or may not get it. And it definitely won't be consistent. Um, I guarantee you that because something's going to happen. Something's going to come up. But the law of Hashem says, no, the Shabbat is on the seventh day. And there's actually a bunch of Yom Tov days as well. And those are going to happen uh, whether you keep them or not. So, you know, I just think it's very interesting. The law of men is actually more burdensome because you end up going through quite a bit of taxation on your body because you don't get a break. And people guilt trip you a lot as well when you're under the law of man. You know, because if you decide when you're going to take your Shabbat, well, if that doesn't match somebody else's schedule, oh, you know, like you can't take your Shabbat today. You need to be hanging out with me, you know, kind of thing. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I I understand. I mean, it's. I mean, since this pandemic has started, I noticed employers have been behaving a little differently than before. Hmm. At least here in Minnesota, you know, I. You know, there's a lot of paranoia, a lot more strictness, a lot more, more burdens just being heaped on you. You know, hmm. I mean, they wear a mask at work, you know, and that's dangerous, though, but they don't care about that. Breathing your own CO2, that's dangerous. You know? I mean, speaking for myself, you know, my wife and I, we got the vaccine, right? Both doses. In all honesty, the second one, I was put down for a day. I, I had to sleep it off, you know, because it really made me tired, you know. And now I'm pretty much back to normal today, you know. Um. But I just want to make it clear, having said that, is that my wife and I don't look at the Nakash in the wilderness. We know the one who, who told Moshe to put it there. And it is him that we look to. But our motive for doing this is for each other and for our fellow man or fellow believers, if you will, our family we're thinking about too, which we spent time with, you know because we had to bury her twin sister, you know, and I had to perform the Kaddish, you know, so yeah, I would guard my health as much as I can, you know, on my end. And if I do my part, I know Hashem will do his. That That's just it, you know, that's, that's where your Amunah needs to be, you know, it needs to be perfect. Um, walk before me and be perfect. That's what he told Abraham. Be blameless. Um, that's what Luke says about uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, the mother and father of Yochanan the Immerser. And then Zachariah doubted for a moment, but that, even that was enough for the angel to tell him that, okay, you're not going to speak for a while. <laughs> you know? Yeah, got to be careful with that. Yeah, Lashon Hara, man. You just don't know. <laughs> measure for measure, you know. Um, but I know Hashem is behind all of this. I know why. And I know you do too, you know. And that's what we ultimately have to realize. And, I, and we need to be careful that we don't give in to conspiracy theories, you know. Because that in and of itself is could be Lashon Hara. And that could be separate you from Hashem, you know. He won't hear your prayers, especially now since we're counting the Yomer. We're trying to, we're working on purifying ourselves, improving our Midot, you know. So, um, and Hashem says, you know, don't touch the unclean thing and I'll receive you to myself. You know, Shaul quotes that in Corinthians. Um, he also says in Romans that when I want to do good, evil is present. It's right there. <laughs> Just like I read from the Rebbe Nachman, man. He got dragged that Yetzer around, man. Just whoosh, lasso him up, man. Hog time if you have to. <laughs> Texas <Right>? style. 
<laughs> Just because you live in Texas, bro. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, wait, you don't live in Texas. <laughs> He's like, but I know. But I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that's you know, that's what we have to do, you know. Yeah. It's true. Um, but the last part of it is uh do you have ears? Do you hear what the Almighty spoke? Why are you not responding in love by obeying him? Shama. Yeah. I mean, everything needs to be through love. Like, if you're doing the mitzvot, you know, if, if you're not doing it out of love, guess what? It's still beneficial. But the thing is, do what what are you, what would be our motive? You know, because sometimes, you know, you think about, oh, yeah, good. I, I lit the candles. I kept Shabbat. Baruch Hashem. It's just like, well, did you do that because you love Hashem? Or, like, did you just... You felt pressure to do it or like what? Because one of the craziest things, and this is brought down from Rabbi Trugman Shlita, which he probably brought it down from another rabbi because I don't remember off the top of my head. But he says that, you know, the inheritance in the Olam Haba for those who keep the Shabbat, for those who kept it with lots of love and lots of joy, it's going to be amazing. But for those who just kept the Shabbat and they were very stoic and you know, I made sure I just did everything right. And, you know, they took no pleasure in it. They never took a moment to let the love in, so to speak. Their inheritance is going to be like a park bench. Themselves being the bench. You know, which is like, oh, my goodness. Like, yikes. You know, but just as a precedent for the whole entire keeping of the mitzvah, the whole entire understanding of loving Hashem, because that's what I was thinking about this week, Parsha Behar, you can basically sum it up in one word, Shabbat. And literally that being the name of Hashem and that being the avenue to know, get to know Hashem. Because if you don't know about the Shabbat and if you're not engaged in the Shabbat, there's not really a way to know Hashem. Because why? If you're not keeping the Shabbat, you're doing everything on your own. Because the Shabbat is really the only time that you stop and realize, oh my gosh, I'm not the creator of the universe. Hashem is. Now, if you're holy and everything, that's cool. Because, you know, six days a week you shall work and then you realize, oh, yeah, I pray to God three times a day. I study the parasha, da, 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 right? That's cool. But as a universal standard where the bar is for all mankind, unless you're keeping the Shabbat, you put yourself in a danger of saying, I created this. The only reason, the only way I'm going to have provisions for myself is if I work all the time and make sure that I bring in the money. And Shabbat tells us, <laughs> take your hands off. And oh my gosh, to the farmers that work the land of Israel, the people who have way more faith than I, I know they have more faith than I do, which is just self-incriminating on so many levels, kind of embarrassing. But the Shemitah year, 
you mean to tell me a whole entire year that what you do for a living you stop and you rely on her ship now Shem says, I commanded my blessing for the sixth year, and that'll take you through the seventh year, the eighth year, so that you can go ahead and do all you gotta that. Gotta take him at his word. You but know? I'm just saying, yeah, <laughs> right? You I know, I understand because we live in such a materialistic society that devoid of any spiritual life whatsoever. I get it, you know. Dude. And it's Over. we're so fixed on that, you know, gotta have the latest thing, you know. Mm. Yeah, Parsha oh, yeah, yeah. bro. It ain't playing around, man. Choke you up. <laughs> what's interesting about um, this double portion, uh, Behar on the Mount, is we have to look at the narrative. It's continuing the narrative of when Moshe is on the Mount because the sages talk about this. Parsha Yitro still in effect. Yeah, see, that's the thing. We got to. I'm really starting to really connect the places in the Torah where the narrative of the actual giving of the Torah is happening. Uh-oh, you're putting the Torah in order. You know what that means. <laughs> and then the in-between stuff, the details, like, say, Parashat Shemini with Nadab and Avihu, letting us know the mistakes people make. Um, or at the very beginning of Yitro, when Moshe encounters Yitro, and then yeah. the Ar the Arizal says that he's my brother, Aki, mm -hmm. meaning don't dishonor him. He's a convert to Torah Judaism. Be nice to him, you know. Um, and then the break in the narrative with the golden calf, yeah, shattering of the tablets. You know, it's. Um, I mean, this is the patterns I'm beginning to see, at least for for me, in my, in my study of Torah. So when we come to this rumination thirty-one, without the without the physical land of Israel. There is no such thing as the new covenant. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Some people are going, this is another rock in the field when your plow gets to it. Here Man, shutting down tractors tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think this will stop a tractor, but it will stop your uh, oxen pulling the plow. <laughs> It's crazy. Whoever thinks about the new covenant, including the land of Israel. I never put that together. You know, there's three things. The there's the people, there's Hashem, there's the people, there's the land. There is that. <laughs> They're all part of the covenant. Why? Because Hashem has sworn to Abraham, to Yitzhak, to Yaakov, that I will give this land to your descendants. Okay, so now I'm going to play devil's advocate, which means I'm going to play devil's advocate. Where does that sound? <laughs> so if we go with this crazy narrative that exists for, I don't know, the past 2,000 years, 
God's people are Christians and God's word is the Bible, not the Torah, uh, what's the land that comes with this new covenant? The land that is... I guess, is it still Israel? Because, I mean, if it is, then you're going to have a whole set of conditions that have to be refigured out because without the Torah, uh, how are you going to farm the land? How are you going to bring tithes? How are you going to do the Jubilee? Because if you take away those things, uh, did not we go into exile for not keeping the Jubilee years and the sabbatical years? Mm-hmm. 70 years in Babel. So, I mean, I don't know. I just... Not just Shemitah, the sabbatical yeah. year for the land. That's like one of the first things I thought about when, when you said that first line of the Rumination 31. The land comes with the covenant. In um, Jeremiah... He says, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land that the eyes of Hashem are upon. Yeah. See, this Don't is, hear that about any other place. You know, it's in Psalms, he says, I have chosen Zion as my dwelling place. I've greatly desired it. Oh. He's talking about Yerushalayim. And then what does he say to Shlomo after he builds the the first Beit HaMikdash? If indeed you will keep my covenant, then my name will reside here forever. There's that if, just like in Parashabahukotai. See, this is when Israel became a nation again in 1948. I'm certain a lot of theologians looked on it and said, uh oh, we got to fix our theology. (laughs) Bezra Hashem, you hope that's the case, right? But I know there's still too many that don't. Because too many believers think that there's two separate peoples of God when there aren't. The book of Acts does not talk about a new group of believers. It talks about Gentile inclusion into the covenants of promise. As Shaul clearly states in Ephesians and Romans 11. Shaul is inclusive in his writing that the land is part of the covenant. They're inseparable. They're irrevocable. Because if you if you sit there and say that the Torah is done away with, then you don't believe that his word 
is forever settled in heaven, as Psalm 119 clearly states. I always quote Psalm 119.86, for all your instructions are faith. Uh, Habakkuk 2.4, and the righteous, the Zadik, will live by his emunah, his faithfulness. The sages disduced all the commandments down to that one verse. That one verse in Habakkuk. The righteous will live by his faithfulness. And I put those two verses together because one, Hashem is faithful to his covenants that he's made. And they're all basically one. There's just different aspects, like the covenant of the parts, for example. Then Sinai, then David, when he tells him you're... You know, Mashiach's going to come from your line. Um, That'd be a crazy moment for David Habelik. <laughs> like my son, I just want to let you know, your son's my son. Uh, the <laughs> one who's going to reign forever, he's going to come from you. No wonder does he write in Psalm 2, sit on my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. <laughs> you know, it's it's that That's word like, Evan. Yeah. Evan <laughs> Ben. I, that one always gets me, man. You got all that in that single word. I mean... <laughs> man, that's like a warp core breach, man. <laughs> Side note, we talk about faithful, right? I was just looking at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. This little known place called Antioch, where the Talmudim of the Mashiach were first called, wait for it, faithful ones. Because if you do the word study of, man, this Greek word, I have no idea. I'm going to give it a shot. Christianos, which obviously has the, the word Christian in the English. It says, for the Greek lexicon, this name was first given to the worshipers of Yeshua by the Gentiles. Side note, if you have Gentiles giving you a title and telling you what you do, that's probably not going to be too accurate. <laughs> For instance, people think Jews worship Eliyahu. Because why? We sing Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu Atishbi. It's like, why are they crying for Eliyahu? Like, oh, they love Eliyahu. They worship him. It's like, no. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, it says, <laughs> but from the second century, Justin Martyr. Da 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 keeps going on. It says, accepted them as a title of honor. And it goes on to say, where is this? The Farrar and Alex Quito, whatever that is, under the word on the title of believers in the New Testament. So the title of believers, and it goes on to say the Dictionary of Christian Antiques or Antiquities is under the word faithful. So whatever this word is, it has to do with being a believer. And it also has to do with being faithful. Now, faithful to the word that we talked about, the Torah made flesh. Shabbat 97a says... It is revealed before the Holy One, blessed be he, that the Jewish people would believe. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Moshe, they are believers, the children of believers, and ultimately you will not believe. Shabbat 97a. The Jews are actually called believers and children of believers. And believers are known as ma'amin, which has the root amen, which is the word for faithful, which is the word for Abraham believing and Hashem accredited to him as righteous. Completed, what did Shlomo just say? The righteous shall live by faith. That's all I want to say. Yeah, that's uh, in the Aramaic Peshitta. For Acts, it's Christian. It does not mean Christian. It's mistranslated. It means Amim Hadarek. <laughs> Woo. That's how they saw themselves. Faithful to the way. Mm-hmm. What did Hashem tell Moshe at Sinai regarding Amin? And they will believe in you forever. <laughs> Hashem tells Moshe this. So explain to me how there are two peoples of God when there's really only one. Wow. There's two kinds of people in the world. Those who are faithful to the way and follow Moshe and those who don't. So this rumination begins with, while it is certainly understandable for replacement theology, a.k.a. supersessionism, a.k.a. covenant theology, to try and substitute the land of Israel for the ethereal heaven, it is nonetheless as faulty as so many other substitutions. 
The scriptures are replete with the mention of the land of Israel as central to the redemption plan of the Almighty, like the entire inheritance of the descendants of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, these notable and ignoble theologians, by negating the inheritance of the land, undercut their own theologies of redemption. They may have study Bibles that include their names in the titles, but they ignore its words to their own demise. Well, that answers the question about the land that goes with this new covenant, because it's like, oh, there is no land. There's heaven. This is like, we're going to die, we're going to go to heaven, and that's it. We're just going to fly away, oh glory. Why would Hashem take us to a place that he did not place us in? Ooh. Where did he place Adam? <laughs> in the garden. Mm -hmm. After he created him outside the garden among all the thorns and everything else to show him the consequence of disobedience. That's in the Midrash, by the way. Adam was formed in a place of a crown of thorns. That's what the Midrash says. <sighs> and what did they put on Yeshua's head? No big deal. When when. Adam was created, it was surrounded by thorns. Okay. <laughs> Anything else you want to tell us? <laughs> Midrash says, Bereshit. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. And they say that the land is irrelevant. We were created from it. So how could you say that it is not? <sighs> Bro, that's, that's probably more disturbing than the Torah's done away with, is to say that the land is irrelevant. Because again, that makes me wonder, why take us out of Egypt? Why bash us for wanting to stay in Egypt? That just ignores the main theme of the Tanakh, redemption. And by the way, how many mitzvot in the Torah have to do with the land? Because if the land's irrelevant, that means you really have to undo the Torah. <laughs> That's just it. The majority of the mitzvot are tied to the land. The counting of the Omer, what we're doing right now. When you wave the barley seven times. Where are you going to get the barley? <laughs> Halakali, we're not even doing this mitzvah like we're supposed to. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> they don't study halakha either. See, it's in my... My wife and I are so big on it, you know, We because we know it brings down Kedusha. We want to bring down as much holiness as possible, you know. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to? <laughs> you know, especially if you're in the land. The holiest place on earth. 
Oh, there's so much Kabbalah there. Oh man. <laughs> I I would scare too many people away if I went there. <laughs> They'd be like, Kalaba, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, um, but we have some verses here. Behold, the days are coming, says Hashem, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Who's that with again? Hmm. Not with the Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Episcopalians, the Catholics, or the Protestants, or the Lutherans. No, it's with Judah the Presbyterians. Yeah. Jews, huh? The new covenant is with Jews. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Hashem. I will put my law or Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This should immediately be familiar. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Hashem, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says Hashem, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Behold, the days are coming, says Hashem, that the city shall be built for Hashem. From the tower of Hananel, to the corner gate. The surveyor's line shall again extend straight forward over the hill Garib. Then it shall turn toward Goath and the whole valley of the dead bodies of the ashes and all of the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy to Hashem. It shall not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever. And forever means forever. <laughs> like the number four next to ever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just think about the fact of there's a Mashiach who's the Mashiach of Joseph, who's actually the Mashiach being Ephraim which was Israel. And then you have the Mashiach who descends from David, which is of Judah. So the new covenant is with the two Mashiachs. But what's interesting is the Mashiach ben Yosef is the great ingathering. Like he's the one who's gathering in all of the the lost sheep of Israel, if you will, which includes Jewish neshamot, Jewish souls that are trapped in the klipa of Gentiles. The klipa of Esau. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it's really neat that, you know, if you're feeling weird about you know, becoming Jewish and identifying with a Jew and all this kind of stuff. It's like, do you, what's your neshama? You know, 
because this is a, a thing I've been struggling with uh, a couple of weeks now. Not struggling, I guess, but just the a realization that I'm, I need to make sure that I understand is my Jewishness should not be predicated on the mouth of man. That it's a part of it. You know, especially this is why we go through a conversion process. Bet Dean is important. But you're in the Shama, your soul, that which stands before Hashem to give an account. What, where is it there? Like, where's the conviction there? You know, like, is your, is your Neshama Jewish? You know, Chasbe Shalom, Hashem forbid that anyone converts and they don't have a Jewish Neshama or anyone walks around identifying themselves as a Jew, but yet their Neshama is not Jewish, you know, because that which is the fuel for your flesh your, your soul should animate your flesh, not, not vice versa. Right. So, you know, just to think about that, when, when it comes to identifying as a Yehudi, as a Jew, as people in covenant with Hashem, you know, like where's our Neshama? Is it connected? Is it on? Is it working? Is it, is it desirous of Hashem? You know, because ultimately that's what Jews are. We we have a neshama that says, "I want to be obedient to Hashem." So, just yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, with that, I go to Psalm nineteen eight. The Torah of Adonai is perfect, restoring the inner person. I'm reading from the CJB. The instruction of Adonai is sure, making wise the thoughtless. The precepts of Adonai are right, rejoicing the heart. The mitzvah of Adonai is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Adonai is clean, enduring forever. The rulings of Adonai are true. They are righteous altogether more desirable than gold, than much fine gold, also sweeter than honey or drippings from the honeycomb. Through them, your servant is warned. In obeying them, there is great reward. Amen. Some translations say converts the soul. Ooh. Nice. You acquire a Jewish neshama in Torah here, you know, Torah observance. Wow. You, you are converted it. through the Torah? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a point I keep trying to make to the group sometimes during the Shabbat studies, you know. It's, it's one I always quote to Yosef because this is what the Torah does. And I quote this in, in context with Jeremiah 31, 31. I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, No Hashem, for they shall all know me. This is what Hashem is doing as we speak.
this is what we need to realize. You know, we need to be conscious of, you know, it's um, like our observance of Shabbat, you know, like you pointed out earlier. Um, are you doing it for the sake of someone else or are you doing it for the sake of heaven? Yirei Hashemayim. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point. You know, I think of my Kavana when welcoming Shabbat or doing anything, any of the, the holy things that we're commanded to do, you know? Um, yep. You know, where's your Kavana, your intent? Where's your mind? Is it on the mundane things? Because the minute your wife's lighting those candles, boy, your Kavana better be ready for Kadush. Because <laughs> you know, she's, she begins to bring down the Shekinah, you know, especially when you sing Shalom Aleichem. And then I get to the part of uh, Atkinu Seyudata by the Ari's all, man. Because every mm -hmm. time I read that, man, it's like, it, it, I know he comes down. I know he's pleased with it, you know? I mean. You know, you, you just know. There, there's just this blessing that comes down from the Holy One, blessed be he, you know, because he desires greatly to bless us, that we be a good testimony to those around us. And that's something important to think about. See, that's why, that's another aspect of why the land is part of the covenant, because when Israel prospers, the world prospers. That's right. Um, I've heard Kabbalist rabbis say that Jerusalem tends to be the, the gateway in which prayers ascend to the throne and with, to which blessings come, come down, to which holiness comes down. And then from there, it just emanates out to the rest of the world. You know, as the world turns and each time zone welcomes Shabbat, you know, it's the whole 24 hours, you know. Um, somewhere, somewhere in the world, man, there's someone with their sedur doing the morning blessings, Sakharit, you know, Minka, Ma'arif, you know. It's all, all those prayers are constantly going up, you know, but more and more increasingly, we find that man, like in our country, what's going on now, you know, and in so many others where man just keeps wanting to distance himself and not just that, but an attempt to silence anyone that opposes them, their philosophy. 
You know, this is what the church engaged in in the second century, beginning with Marcion. Actually started a little earlier than that, um, right around the time that Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians. Because um, you had some Gentiles who were already splitting off from the congregations and starting their own thing. You know, and right away, you know, Shaul writes in the first chapter of Galatians, who has, and is the King James, who's bewitched you or seduced you away from the good news that we have brought to you? For it is not another. Do you realize that's a, a term that con connotes magic, sorcery, like the golden calf? Exactly. You know, as a matter of fact, I want to see what the CJB says. Very first chapter. Yeah, from Shaul, an emissary, I received my commission, not from human beings or through human meditation, but through Yeshua, the Messiah, and God, the Father, who raised him from the dead, also from all the brothers with me to the Messianic communities in Galatia. Grace and shalom to you from God our Father and from the Lord Yeshua the Messiah who gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us from the present evil world system. That's, I like that. The present evil world system. In obedience to the will of God our Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astounded that you are so quick to remove yourselves from me, the one who called you, by the Messiah's grace and turn to some other supposedly good news, which is not good news at all. What is really happening is that certain people are pestering you and trying to pervert the genuine good news of the Messiah. But even if we, or for that matter, an angel from heaven were to announce to you some so-called good news, contrary to the good news we did announce to you, let him be under a curse forever. Those are serious words. The good news is that Mashiach showed us the way back to Torah. That's the good news. This is why he says, you know the way, you know where I'm going. Which actually make the word echad. Emet, Aleph, Chaim, Chet, the life. And Derek Dalit. Chaim with a gematria of 18 times 2 is 36. The Lamed Bab Zedekim. Yeah. That keep the world going. That hold the world up. According to Hasidic thought. And then what I was reading from Rabbi Nachman earlier how we are to bring vitality to the kingdom, you know, as he writes, um, 
Yeah, each person is required to give strength to the kingdom of holiness. So when you get to chapter three, verse one, in Galatia, there, the Greek word is called uh, Fosco. Again, pronunciation may be very, very terrible. But this word literally means to affirm, allege, pretend, or profess. Yes, it does say pretend. So now when you get to the word in 3-1, it's actually the word baskaino, which means to give the evil eye, to fascinate, to bewitch or overpower, or let's put it this way, according to the Aristotle, bewitching through use of an evil power, that is putting someone under a spell so that they no longer could think, act according to reason. So just saying. That's what that word means. Yeah. In the CJB, he puts it... He's being blunt. You stupid Galatians, who has put you under a spell? Shaul's being totally blunt, man. (laughs) He's not messing around. What is up with you guys? You know better. So basically, it takes magic to deny the Torah, which is why the golden calf was juxtaposed to the tablets. Or as one of our fellow Avengers has said, you either want the menorah or the golden calf because both were pieces of gold that got thrown into the fire. Okay. Glad we've had this discussion. Uh, sort of magic gets you. <laughs> and you know, the Kabbalists say that if you're uh, delving into Kabbalah without Torah, you literally are practicing magic. Yep. One requirement is that you know the Tanakh. And, and the Talmud. Yep. Those I just are, would like to shout out the... Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, those are the two prerequisites because with that, I quote Kagiga 14, which most people should know in regards to Kabbalah. And that is the four rabbis who went into the Pardes which is the halakha regarding proper interpretation of Torah. This is what gets a lot of people in trouble. Messianics, Hebrew roots, those guys who love to mix Christian theology with Judaism. It's like trying to mix water and oil, and it just doesn't happen. And what happens is you start to come up with your own and all kinds of 
silly things happen. But the four rabbis that went into the Pardes, <laughs> one was killed. Uh, another one, I believe, went mad. Another one became a heretic, but only Rabbi Akiva came out in peace and wholeness. That's right. Why? Because his vessel was prepared. Wow. That is I... why he went in and came out. This is what Kabbalists always stress. Do not attempt to put something in your vessel to which you have not prepared it for. Think of the shattering of the vessels at creation. It was a immature version of Atzilut, the highest of the four worlds of Kabbalah. <clears throat> because it's, there's a lot in that second verse of the Torah in, in Be'erashi. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face. You know, Tohu Ve'vohu. You know, Tohu is the fire of chaos. It's judgment. It's, you know, it devours. You know, that's the, like, that's the letter Sheen. And then you have Vohu, which is desolation, which is preferred because it's at peace. Because Israel, Eretz Israel, laid desolate for what, 19 centuries? Wow. That's a long time. <clears throat> Until, you know, then Drew, like, you know, the master says, Jerusalem shall be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And as far as I could tell, that hap that came to an end in 1967. Yep. At the end of the Six Day War. Because Jerusalem's now under pretty much, you know, the control of the Jewish people now. Yeah, you have the Armenian quarter, you have the Christian quarter, you know, the Orthodox quarter, you know. Um, um, and yeah, the Temple Mount's under control of the, the Muslim Waqf, you know, but they don't know what they have control over. They, they really don't. It's chaos over there. You know, and you know why? It's because they're not in any condition whatsoever to ascend the Temple Mount. The Kabbalist rabbis understand it's not that we can't go. It's not that, that uh, we can't go up there. It's that we won't because we know that we're in a state of uncleanness. Hmm. We're not prepared. Our vessels are not prepared to go where Hashem's name resides. That's why they pray at the wall. That's why they pray at the hotel. That's the reason why. And most people don't understand this. You have to study Kabbalah to understand this. To realize it. Why? And now that I've realized this, this is exactly why they're at the wall all the time. Because you're adjacent to the holiest place on earth, the, 
the conduit, the uh, the pipeline to Hashemayim. You know, that's how the Kabbalists refer to it. It's the focal point where all prayers ascend and all blessings descend. You know, the very place where Avraham offered up Yitzhak, Moriah. You know, that's why they built the temple there. That's where the foundation stone is, Evan Shetiyah. And that's a deep subject right there. I actually bought a documentary I found on Amazon on that very thing. Um, but yeah, this is why the land is important. This is why it is mentioned so many times. You know, the most evocative word in the Tanakh is Zion. Mm. You know, it's mentioned many times, you know. And what makes the land special? You know, it's not the gaudy tourist traps, you know. Yeah, there are the, the very places where Yeshua walked. The Arbel Cliffs, the Galil, the temple. Those are places he actually went. Those are the places he spent most of his time, at least what we can derive from the gospel accounts. But if you're going to go there, don't waste your money on anything else. You know, just say to the tour guide, look, man, I'm only interested in three places. The Kotel, the Arbel Cliffs, and the Galil. <laughs> you know, it's it's people praying on the the less sincere praying on the sincere. It's, you know, you find exploitation in the land. It's unfortunate. And I think they forget that this is is the Holy Land. This is the place that Hashem's eyes are upon from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And that's an allegorical statement because his eyes are constantly on it. They, he, they never depart. You know, like it says in the Psalms, and he has chosen Zion as his dwelling place. He has greatly desired it. You know, that and then sense there's a bit of a warning couched in there that we should be careful because what do you see the nations doing constantly delegitimizing isolating Israel from the rest of the world with all these resolutions you know and then you know whenever it, a Palestinian kills a Jew nobody says nothing you know, whenever Hamas sets off an explosive or anybody else, any other terrorist sponsored by Iran does anything, the world is silent. But when one Jew gets up and defends himself in the land, they're just all over it. <laughs> he fought back. He fought back. You know, Take him back. You know that's, it's, it was like that during World War II, during the Holocaust. You know, the, granted that they were lulled into a false sense of security, you know, because, you know, Hitler knew what he was doing. And before we forget that he, that he's a descendant of Amalek, as I've come to find out. Yikes. So, 
Yeah, when I found that out, I said, that just made sense. Now I understand why he was so motivated to try and wipe them out because that's exactly what Heyman tried to do and it backfired on him. I mean, you know, um, and what's in interesting is uh, I have to remember that verse in, uh, in Esther, but there's the Bob that's connected to Heyman's name, which is like the, uh, the hangman's noose, you know, that he was hanged on. But I have to look look at it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's yeah, you don't want to do anything to the land and the people because it's the apple of his eye. Um, so we have another verse here in his in Ezekiel, where it says, "Then say to them." Thus says Hashem God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle shall also be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, Hashem, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Ezekiel 37, 21 and verses 25 through 28. It matters not whether you are a theologian with the name of Ryrie or Sproul or a politician with the name Obama or Trump. If you seek to take the inheritance of the land, either theologically or through some dishonest peace plan, you will fail. In the end, you are the ones that will be crushed by the rock of ages, Daniel 2, 34 and 35. You have been warned do not touch my anointed ones, Psalms 105.13. That's what that verse means. Don't lay a hand on the Jewish people. Don't. Any nation that has done has fallen into the history book. Pun intended. putting the nail in your coffin, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to look for that verse with the Vav and uh, Haman's name. Um, yeah, it's in Esther. I think it's... Um, I think it might be in chapter five. Well, there is a Vav 
before the beginning of Haman in chapter 5, verse 8? Oh, so 5, 4, 3, 15. Yeah, there's a couple of different verses that have a, a Vav with the name Haman next to it. I think I remember now. It's Melek. It's Ashuverus. Melek. The Haman, I think it is. Um. Wow. And that was alluding to the fact of him being hung? Yeah, on the gallows. Um, yeah, I saw that this past Purim. I'm like, when I shared it with the group, you know, Yosef was just like blown away by that. Yeah, because basically it was tied to Sukkah 52 saying that the Yetzahar is going to be executed which yeah. caused mourning within the people. And it was like, well, there's a eulogy going on, but we don't know if it's for the Yatsahara or for the Mashiach being Yosef. But everything about Haman is connected with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we ate from. And it's basically the Yetzahara, the Mashiach ben Yosef, who looks like Haman was hung on a tree. Yeah. Yeah, so I, was, I think it was just um, really huge when I when it was pointed out to me. I said, "Oh my goodness, man!" And the king gave the order for him to be hanged at Esther's wish. because yeah, actually, Varus asked Esther, "What is your desire? What you know, whatever is in the kingdom, you know, I'll whatever you desire, I would do for you." Wow. Do you think you marked it or uh, tabbed it or anything? Yeah, I'm thinking um, I'm reading now um
Yeah, the other thing about Haman is that his his name actually shows, shows up in Genesis. That's something that Yosef pointed out and he found. And maybe one of those things we'll have to come back to. Yeah, uh, I don't want to take up too much time looking for it, but I know it's there. Um, bookmark there. Okay. Well, that'll be cool because uh, Bezrat Hashem with next rumination, we can probably be able to um, kind of re... re uh, review that and go into our next point so yeah um yeah um but yeah with these two ruminations uh, to come away with is um you know love is a verb in hebrew and it means action so don't just listen do And then with 31, rumination 31, the people, the land, and Hashem, they're all part of the covenant. They're inseparable. It doesn't matter how you rationalize it. It's, you know, <clears throat> decreed by Hashem. It's eternal. And there's no action by man that can undo it. I mean, no matter how you justify it, you know, no matter what the UN does or any other nation, the thing is the nations should be aware that as it's stated in Zechariah, I shall make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. All those who try to heave it away will be crushed. <laughs> All right. Well, that will conclude the rumination study for Parsha Behar Bekukotai. So let us say, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazek. All right. Well, closing bracket. Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melekaolam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet. Vekaye olam nata betokhenu. Baruk ata adonai notain ha Torah. Amen.